0: Good morning. In this new series, we're studying the identity of a Christian. It's important for those who are Christians to understand what that means. You know why you became a Christian. You know how you became a Christian. But do you know who you are as a Christian? The question, who am I, is one of the most fundamental questions humans ask themselves. So we often answer the question based on external things like our job, our sports and activities, personality traits, and other characteristics. While that may be fine and good, it doesn't answer the question, who am I for the Christian? We began last week by looking at the Christian as God's new creation in Christ and today we look at the christian as god's child when you were conceived and then born into this world you became a child to your parents you belonged to their family but we know that it was actually god who created you look in your bibles at psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 where the psalmist wrote for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb you are one- wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my frame was not hidden from you when i was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth you see god created you when you were conceived and you became a human being. And so in that sense, because God creates all people, all people are the children of God in a earthly, physical, human sense because he's the one that creates us and we're born into this world. But a Christian is both the created child of God and the recreated child of god because they are made new or born again in christ uh, about the christian john tells us in john chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, the Christian is born of God, not anything humans do. Not like a a, a human baby is conceived and born by the uh, the the will of the flesh, the will of human beings, a mother and father, but a a Christian becomes a Christian by God uh, conceiving them essentially in Christ, by them being born again in Christ. He's the one that renews them, that recreates them in Christ. It's to those who accept the message of Jesus and obey him, John says, they become children of God. Not children like when you were born to your earthly parents, but born again by the will of of God. And that's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John 3 in john 3 3 and 5 uh, nicodemus uh, is asking him about the kingdom of heaven and and jesus says unless a man is a person is born again he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and nicodemus doesn't understand and and he and he and he wants to understand he's an intelligent man educated man and he asks jesus well, it's impossible how can a person enter into their mother's womb again help me understand jesus explain this to me and Jesus says in verse 5 that in order to be born, in, enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born a, again of water and the Spirit. Something altogether different than the way we're born as human beings into this world. He says it's a different kind of birth. It's not like the birth you know. It's a birth by water and of the Spirit into the kingdom of God. And that's the only way you get in. God wants all people to be saved, so he made a way for salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and that's how he gives people the right to become children of God by those who receive Jesus and believe in his name. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, where John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and that's what we are and so we are he says you see God didn't fall in love with you he, he didn't he, he wasn't walking around one day and stumbled upon you and see you and fall in love with you he didn't fall in love with you he created you and he loves you before you were created and he'll never fall out of love with you. He never fell in love with you and he'll never fall out of love with you. The words has given right there in 1 John 3:1. Uh, this one word in the Greek language and it's in the tense that means God's love is permanently fixed on his children. It's not given once or a few times. Or, or, or it's fleeting, or if you're acting right, or if you do enough good things and you hadn't messed up in a while, or you're making him happy and proud, it's not anything like that. His love is permanently fixed on his children. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That the love of God is permanently fixed on you if you are a child of God. And John says, that's what Christians are. We're God's children. We've all been called names before, haven't we? Uh, we've been called a nickname that maybe kind of made fun of a physical characteristic about ourselves. Uh, maybe we were called something that was just mean and ugly, wasn't even true about us, but somebody said something mean about us. And and, and those certainly can at least at the very least irritate us uh if not hurt us and anger us but god calls us a name that's a wonderful name it's 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 something that we shouldn't think light or little of he calls us children the heavenly father creator god sovereign god supreme god almighty god the one and only true and living god the only god he calls christians children his children and he loves us like the father like a father loves his children except every earthly father no matter how good a father may have been no matter how wonderful he may have been every father on earth falls short in some way but the love of our heavenly father is perfect and it's out of his perfect love that he loves his children and it's so much so that his his love made a way for us to be able to gain the name child of god through the sacrifice of his son Now look with me over at 1 John chapter 4 and let's look at verses 9 and 10 where John writes here, In this this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love not that we have loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins john points out two things about god's love for us here the first is in verse 9 where he says in this the love of god was made manifest in other words god showed us That's what that word manifest is. We don't use that word a lot, but in this, the love of God was shown to us, was revealed to us, was made known to us. How? By sending his only son into the world. And someone might ask, well, why? Why does God sending Jesus into the world show us his love for us? John tells us next, because it's so that we might live through him. Because outside of Christ, without Christ, without a Savior, without the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, without him shedding his blood on the cross and taking our sin on, upon him on the cross, we were without hope, without uh, any chance of salvation in this world. We were eternally lost with without hope. There was no way our sin could have been dealt with. There was nothing we could do to be made right again with God because of our sin. Sin breaks the relationship between God and people. And he sent his son into the world to be that sacrifice for our sins so that through him we might live. And by doing that, he shows the magnificence, the greatness Of his love for us and verse 10 the second thing it's kind of a progression a repeat here where he says in this is love so john's going to say it again he wants us to try to grasp how much god loves us god doesn't love us because we discovered him and loved him first. We, we didn't stumble across God in the sky or, or uh, in the forest or something like that. We didn't discover God. He loved us first, and then we respond to his love by loving him back. See, God loves us so incredibly much. He showed it, he revealed it, he manifested it by what? Sending his son. And John adds to this now. He he he's developing this now. He's trying to stress something, get a point across to us. He says, "By sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins." The word propitiation is not a word that we use at all, really. You probably did not use the word propitiation at all in your life last week. You were not sitting around at the ball game or at work in the office or in some conversation and brought up the word propitiation. But it's such an important word for us to comprehend so that we understand God's love for us. Propitiation means a sacrifice or offering given to appease or satisfy the one offended it means jesus was the sacrifice given to satisfy the wrath and judgment of god towards our sins jesus's blood atoned for our sins so through jesus we could be made one with god We could be in a right relationship with God now that sin has been paid for and removed, and then we are called children of God if, in fact, we become a child of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of God. It's God's saving love for us revealed in the person of Jesus. Now let's take a look at this is our main text actually in 2 Corinthians 6 7 through 14. 17 through 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18. And Paul writes here, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you and i will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says the lord almighty paul draws out from some old testament passages what it means to be children of god today by using some commands and promises that were given to the israelites a long time ago and he draws out those meanings and applies them to the corinthian Christians and they're recorded in God's word and we have that today by God's intent so that we can hear that same message today. Paul begins his thought actually in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6 where he said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Notice the contrast of light and darkness here. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, Paul said that Christians are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, or of the darkness. There's something important here for God's children to understand about our identity. This says something about our close relationships. God's children are called to be separate from the uncleanliness and ungodliness of the world. We're called out of that. We're to choose close friends who encourage us to live godly lives, not pull us away from our Heavenly Father. Paul says it makes no sense for a child of God to be in a close relationship with someone who has no concern for holiness and for living for God. And and we have to work that out in real life, in in school, in in our, in our extracurricular activities, in our friendships, in the workplace, and, and of course in dating, in those that we really hang with, that we're identified with. We've got to figure this out in real life, in real time, don't we? And 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 we yet we live in a world of uh, uh many unchristian people un, you know people who are not christians and many people who are worldly and, and 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 really care nothing about uh god and they live you know how they want to live and and we go to work we we are in the community in the neighborhood in school on teams in different activities with uh, various folks we go to restaurants, we go to stores. And so we have to work this out. But Paul is talking about his the children of God, the church. And he's saying, you've got to make choices in your life, in your close relationships, the ones you're identified with, the, the, those who are closest to you. You've got to make some tough decisions to not be so tied to somebody who is not moving you towards your heavenly father but pulling you away you can't do that he says and remember corinth was a it was maybe like a a los angeles or las vegas a hollywood of of uh their time and so we have to think that they they were recent christians living in that culture and paul says i'm calling you out of that culture don't live like that anymore. As Isaiah was calling the exiled Israelites to leave Babylon and return to God, they'd been exiled there because of their unfaithfulness, and, and, and Isaiah is, is calling them back to return to God, and Paul uses those same words to say to the child of God today, to not live according to the ways of the world, but live to glorify their father who saved them from the world. Babylon represents in the Old Testament and the New Testament and today, Babylon represents the epitome of wickedness and the spirit of worldliness. It was a city of splendor and glory from a worldly perspective just like our world is today. It was a it was an amazing place. The 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 palaces, the buildings, the hanging gardens, which are one of the wonders of the world, uh, it doesn't exist anymore. It's it's in, uh, but it's it's gone. But it was a fabulous place from a worldly perspective. But spiritually, it was stained with sin. That's what Babylon represents. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, and God says to us today the same message, leave Babylon. Don't live like you're a resident or a citizen of Babylon anymore. Don't live like that. Don't buy into its culture and beliefs and practices. Now you're in God's house in his church. Live like a child of God who was called out of all that and live to glorify him. You see, a child of God lives differently. They make different choices so they can praise their father, who saved them from the world and from being eternally lost. Paul's not saying, don't talk to an unbeliever. He's not saying you're better than others. He's not saying you can't have uh, friends uh, to a degree and you can't have associations uh, to a degree with unbelievers. You go to school and work and other things. He's not saying that. He's not saying get a divorce if your spouse doesn't believe in God. What Paul is doing is he's reminding the Christian of their identity that they are a child of the Almighty God, that they therefore choose to live differently. You're, you're concerned then with the things of things of God. You want to glorify God in what you do. And so you make choices about friendships, relationships, work, activities that represent your father well and bring him glory and honor. Now look at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 6. And here says Paul says this about our identity. This is before he just said those uh, uh, quotes from Old Testament passages. And he says, we are the temple of the living God. The Lord's church made up of his children are his dwelling place. God dwells within us individually when we become Christians, Acts 2.38, and then collectively in his church. God's people become living proof of his love and his glory because we choose to live for him in this world And the gospel message will then shine in our lives for others to see. You know, the only appropriate response to God's love is to love him back. Because of his love he has shown us in all of what we have just looked at, the only appropriate response is to love him back to trust Him, obey Him, and reflect Him in our lives. If you're a child of God, I want to ask you this question. Are you really living like it? Are you living separate from the ways of the world and glorifying your Father? Maybe you're asking, how do I know if I'm a child of God? You know, maybe you believe in God. Maybe you uh, uh, love God. You worship God. But but maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're wondering, exploring. Maybe you don't believe in him. But but what about the question, how do I know if I'm a child of God? If I think maybe I am, I, I love him, I worship him. But Here's some things that will help you. In Acts two thirty eight, I mentioned a moment ago, when Peter told the people what to do when they believed. After he, you can, it's a beautiful sermon. The first sermon preached uh, as the New Testament church was being established on that day of Pentecost. He preaches this sermon about Jesus, and when the people believe it, thousands of Jews are there. They, when they believe it, they ask, "What do we do with what you just told us?" Peter said, repent and be baptized. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how God dwells in you. How do you know if you're a child of God? Have you done that? Have you responded to the message of Jesus in that way? The way they did it in the Bible? And then Paul writes in Romans eight fifteen through 17 that we've received the spirit of adoption. Christians, children of God, have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We've been adopted as children and the spirit in us Acts 2.38 that we just received when we repented and were baptized after we believe and confessed Jesus. Then, when we, re, then we receive the spirit and that spirit in us, Romans 8.15 and 17, Paul says, is proof that we are children of God. That's the proof. And then of course, We could talk about the fruit of the Spirit living, you know, living in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit being uh, um, produced in our lives, cultivated in our lives. If you've not become a child of God, according to the New Testament, we want to help you be one today. If you need to get on track in your life as a Christian, if you already are a child of God, we want to help you do that today. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.